Hello and welcome to The Brave Podcast, an exploration of resilience in the 21st century. I'm your host, Beth and Vincent, and episode to episode, we uncover how systems, people and places can be adaptable and robust in an age of constant change and upheaval. This week, we're talking about a topic that has eluded people for centuries, if not millennia, and that's happiness. What is it? How do we get it? What does it actually mean? And philosophers, religious people, everyone has debated about this. And I think it's just a really interesting topic when you think about that happiness is such an important part of our lives. And I actually want to start off exploring this topic through... um, a book written by an Australian nurse called Bonnie Ware, who spent several years working in palliative care, caring for patients in the last 12 weeks of their lives. And she actually wrote a book about the top five wishes of the dying patients she looked after. And I think these are these are really insightful into, at the end of it all, what, what do we wish we'd done and what do we place importance on? Because surely that's got to be a starting place for happiness. So number one, was, um, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And this obviously is a bit kind of heartbreaking because so many people, due to society, peer pressure, didn't feel like they, they had actions and feelings that were true to themselves. Number two was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And I think that's fairly self-explanatory. We're still in the middle of self-isolation here in the UK, and I think a lot of us are dealing with the fact that work and life are becoming extremely blended, and there is little division between the two, and perhaps that was um, the part of our lives even before all of this living and working from home for the foreseeable future. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Again, that's a bit of a sad one to hear that people felt like they, they couldn't say what they truly felt to people who were presumably very important to them. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And as we'll see, um, human contact and, and being social and having kind of a community around you is a really important part of being happy. And number five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. And as I was reading through these five, um, kind of regrets that number five really stood out to me let myself not not I wish I'd been happier but I wish I'd let myself been happier and this kind of was a starting point into my deep dive of research I did for this episode and I came across research by Shelley Gable and Jonathan Haidt that suggests that we actually have three times more positive experiences in our lives than negative experiences so the weighting is towards the positive it's towards the good yet people felt that they hadn't been able to let themselves be happy that's a really interesting tension for me So to start off with what is happiness? You know, is it pleasure, comfort, gratitude, hope, joy, inspiration? I mean, these are all examples of positive emotions that increase our happiness. I'm doing that in air quotes and allow us to enjoy our lives. And is enjoyment really the ultimate aim of happiness? And um, in scientific literature, happiness is is generally referred to as the presence of positive emotions and the absence of negative emotions. And we'll come on to whether that's a problematic um, interpretation of happiness or not in the end of this episode. But, you know, and then is happiness about your kind of material wealth? Is it about 
something that that you're born with is your happiness determined by genetics or is it determined by the way you live your life and actually the everyone kind of knows about this study i think quite anecdotally but um there was a study by Kineman and deaton in 2010 and they basically looked at income levels in america and they through their kind of methodology came to um the conclusion that money only buys happiness up to the income of $75,000 a year. Anything over that, it was really diminishing returns. Anything under that uh, didn't really have, well, was, you did get gains, basically. And this kind of goes back to, again, something that lots of people are very aware of, which is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And Maslow essentially um, talked about the fact that essentially humans have a basic set of needs which are kind of comfort security you know food water and there is if you have seen the diagram it's kind of done in a pyramid and then there's kind of like different levels of needs up towards the top and the top of the pyramid is self-transcendence so it's kind of like um self-actualization is is kind of the pinnacle and I I always think Maslow's hierarchy of needs is really interesting because is it that we're working towards self-actualization and once we've reached the top of the pyramid are are we therefore happy and have we achieved everything that we need to be kind of fulfilled happy human beings and that was a guess just another way of looking at happiness but one of the interesting studies I came across in my, my research, again, which is probably one that lots of people are aware of, but it is worth talking about, is the Harvard Study of Adult Development, which is one of the longest running studies on happiness. And this project followed 724 men since they were teenagers in 1938. And there are still about 60 men still alive in their 90s. And the group consisted of people from various social economic backgrounds, from Boston's poorest neighbourhoods to Harvard undergrads. And actually, interestingly, President um, Kennedy was actually part of the original group. And over the years, researchers collected all kinds of health information. And every two years, they asked members questions about their lives and their mental and emotional kind of wellness. Really, the researchers has come to some interesting conclusions. One of the um, for psychiatrists, George I'm really bad with names. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing some of these wrong. Um, Who joined the team as a researcher in 1966. Um, Actually, he's written a book based on the kind of part he played in the study. And in his book, Aging Well, he he wrote that six factors predicted healthy aging for the men studied. So physical activity, absence of alcohol abuse and smoking having like the well having he calls it mature mechanisms to cope with life's ups and downs so i guess that is resilience um enjoying both a healthy weight and a stable marriage and then education for some men was also a factor as well so that that was i guess aging and um, coming to have a, a long life that's not necessarily indicative of happiness though there are correlations between happiness and people living longer so you could argue that some of these factors are contributors to happiness I think one of the main things that came out of the study though in terms of happiness itself was that relationships were so so important relationships were the biggest predictor of whether people self-reported that they had good emotional and mental well-being and again that goes back to kind of the stable marriage if people had stable marriages and long-term relationships that again was a big predictor of their age and their happiness as well. 
So I've talked about the fact that happiness obviously allows you to lead a longer life, the studies suggest, and that obviously for many people is very, very important. But happiness, I think, also has other positives as well, which seems really self-evident when you say it out loud. It's not just about the length of your life, it's about the quality of your life and how enjoyable you find it and whether you find meaning, whether you find connection with other people. So I've put together my top five happiness tips and some of these are taken from my own experience and some of these are taken from the research I've done and the studies that are kind of out there as well. So number one, make a list. And again, um, this seems very self-evident, but a number of studies have shown that making daily lists of the things you're grateful for helps actually draw attention to the positive experiences in your life. As I said in the beginning, you know, research again suggests that we have way more positive experiences in our life than negative. But often because... um, I guess we fall into kind of a trap of focusing on the negative because it's kind of more present in a way or it's more powerful force in our life. Negative things can tend to kind of dominate our thoughts. And if you go back to kind of thinking about a really good day you've had maybe in the past couple of weeks um, that was perhaps ruined by one bad comment, one bad thing happening. I know it's happened to me. Um, I had a really good day the other week and uh, had a really good day at work and I did a really good kind of exercise routine, was really, really on top of the world. And someone had left a nasty comment on my Instagram post that I put up and that just kind of ruined everything, even though actually it, that nasty comment wasn't, you know, more powerful, wasn't more important than all the positive things I'd had in my day. It just, my mind just fixated on it a lot more. So if you kind of write down every day the things that you're kind of happy about, you're grateful for, it may seem a bit kind of... (sighs) a bit self-indulgent in some ways but what you're doing is you're forcing your brain to pay attention to those things and you know you can write down the negative as well I'd argue probably shouldn't but you could kind of see if you can (laughs) almost have a balance between the two or notice that there are way more positive than negative but that is a way of making sure your brain is paying attention to what is actually happening. Number two is connect with others so Again, going back to the Harvard study referenced earlier, relationships were such a key part, a key predictor of age and success and happiness. And I use success in the sense that people kind of self-reported they were successful. It wasn't to do with kind of material wealth or anything like that. And connection with others is so, so important in our daily lives. And I know for myself, um, on the days where I haven't, because maybe I've been working from home or I just haven't had a chance to speak to other people, I just feel more down. I feel more isolated. A problem shared is a problem halved is the age-old saying, isn't it? And I think, you know, again, I'm recording this in the period of kind of self, self-isolation self and lockdown here in the UK. And connecting with others has become more difficult in the sense that you can't kind of go and do it physically in person um at least not from uh, less than two meters away um but what we're kind of finding during this period is that people are coming up with really ingenious ways of connecting with other people and technology is allowing us to do that so you know i've had um friends who have taken part in pub quizzes not going to the pub not really doing it anything to do with the pub but they're doing it via skype they're doing it via facetime i've been speaking to my parents a lot through facetime um 
there are these kind of house party apps that are being kind of rolled out that connect people with other people randomly from around the world, kind of like chat roulette back in the day. All of this shows us that physical connection and being in the same room as someone and seeing their body language is so, so important, but you can you can still have meaningful connection with other people even in the absence of that. So pick up the phone, send a text, send an email, write a letter. I've been really wanting to get back back into writing letters like I ever wrote letters. Um, I'm a child of the 90s. Um, but, you know, I think now is the time to maybe give that a go. So for tip number three, it's a pretty simple one and it's to exercise. And again, this goes back to the research and numerous studies have looked into kind of the power of exercise on health, on mental well-being, on physical well-being, aging and all of that. And all of the results have been generally quite positive up to a point. Over-exercise is obviously a thing and is damaging, but general kind of keeping up your levels of activity um, really does help, especially with depression and low mood. And actually some studies have shown that um, the type of exercise is quite important as well. So exercise you can do with other people like team sports or going to the gym with a friend generally have more positive outcomes because again, it's going back to that social connection, but really doing anything for at least kind of 45 minutes and three to five times a week does uplift your mood and does allow your body just to have a bit of kind of euphoria because you're generating serotonin and all those kind of really good hormones that flood your body when you do a hard workout. So it's a really good one to get in if you can. So tip number four, and to go back to the study about um, the income levels, so the $75,000, anything above that doesn't really give you a happiness return, so to speak. And actually, more recently, researchers have uh, done studies into designer clothes and designer handbags and actually found that wearing expensive designer clothes and handbags for some people, so for people basically who don't have a big sense of entitlement, um, can actually be negative because they they feel less confident had they gone out wearing kind of normal clothes or less expensive clothes. I guess that's because, you know, they, they don't feel like it represents their true self or they feel it's a bit of a mask or the kind of the clothes, the the material wealth overtakes their own identity. And I find this really interesting because I, for a couple of years, have been surrounded by a group of friends who have been quite into like designer handbags and things like that. And I've always kind of felt the peer pressure to buy into that and to buy, you know, a thousand pound designer bag. Oh, that makes me feel sick even talking about that kind of money. (laughs) Think of all the video games you could buy. But seriously, um, that peer pressure has almost forced me to give in. But I know from past experience buying expensive things, when I bought them, they don't bring me anything um I'm almost too scared to wear them out because I'm worried a that people will think differently of me in a bad way and also that I'm going to kind of ruin it and destroy it and then what was the point anyway you know what's the point of having a Chanel handbag if you can't take it out and enjoy it because you're worried about ruining it and the way it kind of impacts on your identity so really stuff isn't a quick fix materialism isn't a quick fix we can't buy things that are really going to make us happy. Um, well, I, I mean, that's quite an interesting thing to say. I think up until the point, you know, that I bought a <laughs> I bought a video game from 1999 yesterday for 6.99, and that definitely made me very happy. So I retract my previous statement. Some things can make you very happy, but I think spending money on stuff for the sake of it and believing that more stuff will make you happy is a dangerous pit to fall in. 
So tip number five is actually a bit of an interesting one given everything I've just talked about and it's to not focus on happiness too much. And you might be thinking, well, why are you saying this after talking about happiness for 15 minutes? But this actually comes from a really interesting book called Bright Sided by Barbara. I'm not going to say her last name. Um, Barbara Echheinrink. I don't know. I can't read it properly. Um, Anyway, apologies for that. (laughs) Barbara in her book actually looks at the culture of positivity in the United States. And um, she essentially comes to a conclusion that too much kind of focus on positive thinking can actually be extremely problematic and she points to examples of you know this idea that positive thinking can cure cancer and can overcome anything and your life can be wonderful if only you thought positively about that and actually this type of thinking apart from the fact that positive thinking doesn't cure cancer um, it it actually can lead to a sense of self blame and a morbid preoccupation with stamping out negative thoughts so if you're constantly trying to focus on the positive and you're kind of in your head like no 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 can't think anything negative you expend so much mental energy pressing down those negative thoughts which are a natural part of life and I think my whole thing in the beginning was talking about you know there are more positives in your day than negatives it's not to ignore the negatives they're still there it's just to focus on the fact that there are more positives and you just don't expend all your energy trying to reduce the negatives to the point when they're not there because they'll still be there you'll just be stamping them down under the surface and not focusing on them so just to recap my top five happiness tips so number one make a list of things the positive things that have happened on a daily basis it will feel really cheesy but it does actually work from experience number two is connect with others even if you can only do it via skype facetime text at the moment do try and keep up those personal connections and reach out to people it's good for you and it's good for them number three is exercise any form of exercise is good if you can get it in a kind of team sport way which might be a bit difficult at the moment but if you can get it in a team setting with other people that's even better because you're throwing in that connection with it but 45 minutes two to five times a week along with the um, government I think that's the NHS guidelines as well for the active minutes you should be having number four recognize that stuff materialist kind of stuff isn't actually probably gonna fix um, bad things in your life Uh, it'll be a quick fix but it won't be a lasting one and it might actually cause more damage than good to your bank account and to other things (laughs) number five is don't focus on happiness too much you know you will have negative thoughts you will have negative things happen it's important to embrace them to to have them in your life and to recognize them but not dwell on the negative too much either try and have a balance like everything balance is important So thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm actually going to uh, leave a bibliography in the show notes just so you can follow on some of the articles and some of the research papers that I've referenced in here. If you enjoyed the episode, I would be so, so grateful if you could leave a rating and or a review. Just means due to algorithms and things like that, more people will get to hear about the podcast and share the word about resilience and happiness and all of that stuff. And finally, if you want to find out more about The Brave, we're on Twitter and Instagram at The Brave Listen. And also you can find it all about it on my website, bethanvincent.com. And you can also get in contact with me on there as well. I'm always looking out for people who want to come on the show and be interviewed about their kind of experiences of resilience, adaptivity and robustness. So if you've got an interesting story, please do get in touch. But until next week, thank you so much. Thank you.